politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to guard anew our life, our liberty, and our property here to the one and only CR Podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here today on Tuesday, a brand new month, November 1st, a pivotal month at that, where possibly, possibly we will finally see this revolution. And those of you listening the last couple of weeks will understand I'm not referring to this time next week, the Tuesday of November 8th, but I'm referring to November 9th and beyond. You see, that is the date that will determine whether this is a real revolution. There's nothing revolutionary or even historic about Republicans winning a wave election, even uh, with the most optimistic projections. Okay, that, that has happened before. In fact, it's happened pretty recently in 2010, 2014. Republicans between those two years amassed more House seats. They got to 247. It's possible they could top that over 250 if they uh, really run the table this time, 250, 255. They've won record numbers of state legislators before as well. But what did they do with it? What did they do with that power? If the conservative talkers and voters the day after demand specific actions on the top 10 issues that they ran on, then that will have proven to be a true revolution. That is going to be the sign in my mind if we've matured as a movement and we've learned anything. And I want to talk about that today through the prism of crime. Crime is likely the biggest issue for which Republicans are running on, I would say. That and obviously inflation. But we haven't seen an election on crime like this since 1996. And rightfully so. People like me warned about 10, 8 to 10 years ago, I said, wait a minute. Republicans are signing on to the most radical Democrat de-incarceration pro-criminal policies. We are already reversing the trend of you know lower crime that we benefited from for so long. They claim that we locked up too many blacks, which wasn't true because the black incarceration was already going down. And incidentally, crime, particularly violent crime committed by blacks, was going up. And of course, most disproportionately victimizing uh, bl- black victims, but, you know, everyone. And no one listened to me. You think back to what the GOP did with all those majorities in 2010, 2014, the last time you had unpopular Democrat president policies and midterm elections where Republicans won big. You know what Republicans did with that mandate? They actually, in all the state legislatures, Deep red states, they pass criminal justice reform. And that's why in states like Texas, there's a lot of talk about Chicago and New York City, and I'll talk about that, you know, today. But in Houston, it's just as bad. Oh, well, Daniel, that's a blue city. Yeah, but the state is red. The state legislature and the governor should control broadly the statutes governing sentencing and the judicial system of the state. And yet they did the opposite. So when Republicans all run and look at the Democrats and how pro-criminal they are, will we hold them accountable to lock up the repeat violent offenders that we should have all agreed long ago needed to be locked up 
tougher sentencing, three strikes in your outlaws, um, making sure there's no good time credits, making sure that there's no bail or parole or probation violations that they could somehow uh, you know, break and, and, and remain out on the streets. When you look at the, the decrease in incarceration rate, it is so scary because all of those people are out on the streets. So this is a microcosm of every issue. Republicans are like, oh, you know, there's too much crime. Yes, Republicans finally have woken up and realized that it's a good political issue to campaign on. There's no better issue than that. I said that for years. They're stupid, um, you know, if not for principle, just pragmatically not running on that issue. Fine. But what are you going to do about it? Funding the police has nothing to do with anything. I mean, you, you think about, there's a poll here from the Wall Street Journal. It turns out, on the generic congressional ballot, so they just ask generically, wherever you are in the country, do you plan to vote for a Republican for Congress or a Democrat for Congress? Not a specific candidate. The generic congressional ballot among Latino voters and white suburban women are both GOP plus 15. Okay? That's a 26-point shift towards the GOP from August. White suburban women and Latino voters. There's no doubt that probably the biggest issue undergirding that shift is crime. So that is an enormous mandate. And that's why I'm going to continue pointing out the scope of the mandate. I'm, I'm also actually, for once, very excited about this election. Not because most of the Republicans have changed. They're the same old, same old. But what it represents, the people are demanding. And the opportunity we have to finally corner Republicans. But you got to corner them. Including on crime. Including on crime. By the way, you could have a perverse dynamic where you'll have blue states Republicans, you know, let's say they win in New York with Lee Zeldin, where presumably they'll be tougher on crime. But at the same time, in states like 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 Oklahoma and Tennessee, Kevin Stitt and Bill Lee as governors, they're going to continue to push their de-incarceration agenda, which, by the way, they are to this very day. That's how crazy the Republican Party is. But I want to juxtapose for you the immorality the Sodom and Gomorrah of our judicial system, of our political system, of our legal system. The most violent criminals, how they're let out, even given multiple chances, juxtaposed to political dissidents that are locked up. And what happens to them thrown in the gulag, we're going to have coming up today, Joseph McBride, the, one of the main attorneys for January 6th defenders or defendants, giving us an update on what is going on in, in the D.C. Gulag. But I, I want to preface that by, by reading a couple of stories to you from Chicago just to demonstrate the depth of anarcho-tyranny, how the pain that we're suffering is not going to change automatically when you wake up on November 9th, and how we need to work in the states and on, at a federal level where we can to work on locking up the bad guys and ensuring that Innocent people cannot be locked up for their political beliefs. So, again, I want you to understand that, that, that this is not about the police. This is about sentencing. 
evidentiary standards, the entire system of the judiciary. So one thing that's interesting about criminals is that they're creatures of habit. If they do arson and you let them out, you know what they're going to do? More arson. Well, I have two amazing, crazy stories for you that are not anomalies, but they reflect what's going on, certainly in the blue cities like Chicago, but really, you know, a lot of big cities in um, Tennessee, in, in Florida, in Texas. A case where they let out a career criminal charged with punching a woman in the face and kicking a cop in the groin, and he was rearrested for punching a woman in the face and kicking a cop in the groin. And then another case of a sex offender released on charges of molesting multiple women, he was rearrested after he was released for molesting another woman. Okay? This is how bad it is. So basically, there's this guy, James Killingsworth, career criminal, who was arrested right before Christmas, a couple days before 2020, almost two years ago, for stealing a woman's phone on a Chicago street. And then he kicked the arresting cop in the, in the groin. Prosecution later linked him to a robbery a few days before that in which he punched a woman in the face in broad daylight and stole her phone. Now, one would think that aggravated battery of a peace officer, theft, attempted robbery, and aggravated battery in a public place would put him away for a while. But when he reported to prison on October 19th, 2022, just two weeks ago, he was released the same day because of a mix of good time credits and time served. I don't know how long he was in pretrial jail there, um, but it was certainly less than two years, and he's out. Six days later, he was arrested last week for punching a woman at a transit station and then kicking the arresting officer in the groin. Now, this is a crazy story, right? CWB Chicago, terrific local crime reporting site, has this. It gets even worse. You would think, okay, now he's finally locked up. Nope. The Illinois Department of Corrections refused to charge him with a parole violation, and the judge released him on just 12000 cash bail. Think of the military veterans with no criminal record who are still serving two years pretrial without a chance of bail who, didn't, who never touched a police officer, even, even what they're being accused of doing. That is the nature of the demonic, demonic society we live in. That's the tall order that needs to be rectified. There are so many people like that out on the streets, everywhere. Because they're not locked up. Because the Republican Party spent the last two, 10 years rather than holding them accountable. You did what? You let them out? Like they're finally doing in these campaign ads. They let it go and go and go. So we're playing catch-up like everything else. It's not enough. I mean, we have to be... It's not enough to say, oh, I'll, I'll hand the police some more money. Absent directing funding and, for, and also the updating statutes for locking up bad guys and protecting good guys, honestly, funding the police aimlessly will just juice up their uh, divisions that, that enforce tyranny. We have to be very careful about the crime issue, what it is and what it isn't. Now, by the way, very apropos, the sponsor for today is iTarget Pro. Thankfully, the one thing we have is the right to defend ourselves, although you might be prosecuted, but at least you could carry a gun. I, I got my carrier's permit. How many of you know on the spot how to properly draw from the holster and win a gunfight? It, that takes practice, muscle memory. 
It takes the five-point draw, proper trigger control, sight alignment, proper grip. It takes practice. Practice is very expensive. You down 500 rounds at the range each time. That's going to be a fortune. iTarget Pro, they have a revolutionary system that allows you to dry fire practice, but it makes it fun. It has a, a laser bullet, a dummy bullet you put in your gun. Uh, or, or by the way, uh, could be your AR-223 they have as well, 45 cal, 9mm, 38 special, you name it. Um, unless you have some crazy type of gun, it will fit. Uh, they, have, they have a dummy bullet that will fit your caliber. You load it. You download their propriety app. You shine it on a board, your phone on the board, and you can actually time your shots, how long it took you to draw. It renders the shots on target. It is very accurate. If you jerk that trigger, it will your shot will be off. Um, so go to itargetpro.com right now. Save 10% plus. Get free shipping with offer code CR as in conservative review. It would actually make a good Christmas gift coming up. You know, A lot of you thinking about that. Uh, it would make a terrific gift, and again, it is really necessary not just to carry but to practice, and this is the cheap, fun way of doing it. The letter itargetpro.com, itargetpro.com, offer code CR. So there's another case in Chicago. Well, what about sex offenders? Oh, we all hate sex offenders. Meet David Buckner, the terror of Chicago transit, just like you have in the New York transit subways in June this is, I'm going to read to you from CWB Chicago. In June, a prosecutor in the Cook County State's Attorney's Office refused to file felony charges against Buckner after two women accused him of licking, kissing, squeezing, and groping them on the Magnificent Mile. With felony charges denied, Chicago police had to charge Buckner with a misdemeanor battery. He was released from jail a few days later to await trial. And I just want to note, this is a big problem. You hear all these or see these videos of these crazy violent stories and, and you wonder why they're released so soon. Often, it's because at the end of the day, the charges get downgraded for so many reasons. And they become misdemeanors when they should be aggravated felonies. We need to go through the state statutes. If you're a state legislature listening, you need, we need to audit why are people like this that everyone agrees should be locked up getting out. It might be slightly worse in New York and Chicago, but it, this is going on in Nashville and Memphis and Chattanooga and Houston and Dallas as well. So he was let out. On October 9th, while he was still on bail for the June allegations, two more women accused Buckner of touching them inappropriately at the Roosevelt CTA station. He walked out of the local police station a few hours later on his own recognizance, charged again only with a misdemeanor battery. Records that would show if prosecutors rejected felony charges for new allegations have not been posted publicly, so they don't know how that happened. Then that same day, a couple hours later, just before 2 p.m., while still on bail for the June and October cases, he allegedly assaulted an 18-year-old girl on the Loyola campus, not far from the Red Line station. He grabbed the woman's body and, and her left butt cheek. Prosecutor Jeff Allen said, once again, he was charged only with a misdemeanor. Despite the So that, that's CWB Chicago. So basically, it turns out he had like three rounds of multiple molesting women Judge Kelly McCarthy ordered Buckner to pay just 5000 deposit toward bail in the Loyola case, the third one, and just 3000 in the June case until Buckner sees the judge overseeing the matter this week. I'm not sure what wound up happening. It turns out that in 2017, he had a whole history long before this. He was accused by a litany of women of these crazy attacks. 
According to Chicago Tribune, at the time, the prosecutor said that Buckner admitted to probably molesting 75 women. Yet a week before Thanksgiving of last year, when he was charged for violating the terms of the sex offender registry, he was released on his own recognizance because of an insanity plea. And then went on to do the June thing, the October, three more rounds of it, and still was given just a couple thousand dollars bond. That, my friends, is the two-tier justice system we have in America. And by the way, this is another thing we need to look into, the, the, the homelessness, the insanity stuff. They're having it both ways. They close the mental asylums, but then they don't lock them up because they say, oh, well, you know, they're, they're insane. But again, it's the criminally insane who are the greatest public threats because they just indiscriminately attack people. So that's not a reason to leave them on the streets. So again, crime, even on crime, where it's almost universal now, oh, the Democrats are letting everyone out to defund the police, we're going to be tough on crime. But you got to watch out specifically. you got to corner Republicans on specific red lines. What exactly will you do? Because until three minutes ago, the Republicans were joining in on the very policies that have ensured these people are let out. And again, you know, the New York Times wrote an article recently bragging about, uh, this was like two days ago, bragging about, oh, you know, we've had success in reducing the black incarceration rate. And they basically brag about over the course of the last 20 years, the incarceration rate is down by over 40%. Well, I would celebrate that too if crime were down and the number of black criminals and white criminals for that matter were down too. But the reality is crime has skyrocketed. And that's exactly why. That's nothing to celebrate. Blacks among, among the black population is a disproportionate amount of violent criminals. Now, most blacks aren't criminals. So when you allow this talking point of, oh my gosh, we can't have high black incarceration rates to govern criminal justice policy, guess what happens? All those black criminals attack the neighborhood and disproportionately victimize blacks. I've read these statistics many times, but according to the FBI's new crime data explorer, roughly 60% of homicide offenders, 60% in 2021, whose race was known, were black. I mean, what are they, like 12, 13% of the population? 60% of the homicide offenders and almost 60% of the homicide victims. They were like 66% of the robbery offenders, um, maybe 30% of the rape offenders, and maybe 50, 53% of aggravated assaults, I don't remember. That's what it is. There was this big lie that we lock up blacks on nebulous crimes and or drug crimes, and the reality is um, blacks compose a much lower share of the drug crimes than they, or the drug arrests as they do the big four violent criminal categories. If anything, over the last 10 years, drugs have become increasingly more, you know, more whites have been roped into it. So that was the big lie that Republicans ran on. And to this day, they're still very, they have this inferiority complex about that. Oh my gosh, we're scared of the black vote, which is stupid. You know, they're going to chip away a little bit at the black vote by being tough on crime and certainly win back suburban women and Hispanics. They'd be stupid politically. But this is my broader point. 
We could all laugh. Ha ha. The era of crime is over. Defunding the police. It's not about the police. Everything I read to you has nothing to do with defunding the police. It's all about the, the, the legal system. That's where the state legislatures need to get involved. It should all be about, about crime. Tougher sentencing. Um, all We need mandatories. You know, the Wizard of Oz has spoken out against them. He's the big hero now. That's the thing. With people like this, there's no danger of mandatory minimums, whatever you wouldn't like about them. We're not even talking about drug crimes. We're talking about the most violent, disgusting, dangerous people around that revolve in and out. This should be a no-brainer that every human being should agree upon. But what I'm telling you is these aren't two like funny, cute, appalling stories I read to you from Chicago. They're not the exception. They're the rule. And it's happening in red states, too. You know, Despite Republicans wanting to, uh, oh, oh, this is a blue state problem. No, it's, it's a 50-state problem because every Republican legislature over the past decade has bought into this. So again, it's true of every issue. If Republicans just a couple minutes ago were on the wrong side of these issues, and now it broadly, in a very superficial way, they'll use platitudes to run ads to strategically win an election against Democrats, well, that doesn't give me a lot of confidence without specifics that they're going to atone for the past, and they're actually going to do something unless we force it out of them. So that's just what I wanted to update you on crime, but we're going to do this on every issue, energy, illegal immigration, uh, medical freedom, COVID fascism, Ukraine, and obviously the FBI and tyranny, all these issues, transgenderism, the culture, we want specifics, and someone's got to point to the specific opportunities they have. Remember, time is of the essence. Most state legislatures meet in January, some February. A lot of them you have to have all your filed legislation up front or or very short time period, only after a few weeks of of session. That is our window. After that, they'll be like, oh, we're out of session forever. Texas is huge. We need a bunch of crime bills to deal with what's going on in Houston, San Antonio, Austin. We can't have the major cities in Texas looking like California, New York, and, and Chicago. And yet it will if we don't push specifics. They meet for a few months and then they're out of session for two years. And you have Greg Abbott just doing what he wants. That Texas legislative session is going to be so, so important to swing for the fence on crime, on culture, trannyism, medical freedom, interposition against federal tyranny in the FBI, DHS, and IRS. Obviously, the border is the big issue there. We need specifics. We need commitments. Republicans have been very cagey. And we need specific commitments. But I want to get to our special guest. Now, speaking of cornering Republicans on specific agenda items, nowhere is this more evident, or at least the need to do so, more evident than with January 6th. Because broadly speaking, most Republicans will say we got a problem with the FBI. I usually see the term, um, we have a political FBI, politically motivated. I think that's the language on Kevin McCarthy's Pledge to America website. And boy, is that an understatement. But the reality is, 
we are not seeing any of them outside. And, and I mean, even even rank and file outside of you know a couple like Marjorie Taylor Greene and a couple in the Freedom Caucus even talking about the persecution of the defendants, the nature of what happened before, what led up to it, what caused it, the FBI involvement in it, what it represents, what they plan to do about it. I don't even have confidence they're going to look in, into it. I mean, forget about Kevin McCarthy. I'm not seeing much from the two individuals that are likely going to be the most important, at least at the hearing level, uh, the Oversight Committee chairman, who will probably be Comer from Kentucky, and then uh, Judiciary, which will be Jim Jordan of Ohio. I'm not really hearing much from them. But one individual who will be instrumental in bringing the truth to light that has actually lived this is Joseph McBride, one of my new favorite people around, one of the top J6 lawyers who has been defending them from day one. He's a civil rights attorney that's always looked out for the underdog and uh, even has worked in the past with people like the ACLU, but now their guns fell silent because it's not about human rights. It's not about even protecting the vulnerable. It's not about getting a fair shake. It's about an agenda, okay? And if it fits the agenda to defend, you know, serial violent subway assaulters and sex sexual offenders in New York and Chicago, well, they'll defend them. But if there's a defendant who literally is not even alleged to have done anything violent and is locked up pre-trial and has no criminal record, hey, that is no problem because that services the agenda this hierarchy of a legal system. So with us is Joseph to discuss this and more. Hey, Joseph, thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, Daniel, it's good to be back, and I appreciate you having me on. Well, yeah, you gave a riveting presentation last time, and my understanding is that there are a lot of new details over the last uh, couple months since I had you on. Could you describe some of the big motions, maybe successes and failures you've had in court on, on some of the defendants over the last month or so? So I think the, the biggest one is in Christopher Coaglin's case and in Ryan Nichols's case, but Chris's case went before uh, Judge McFadden, and uh, we filed a habeas corpus petition. It, took, it was an emergency petition. It took months and months and months for it to even be heard. And then uh, I apologize about the background noise. That's uh, New York City for you. And... Um, it, uh, it wasn't honored the way that we had hoped that it would be honored. Um, when you file a complaint, the opposing party is supposed to file an answer. Uh, they could potentially file a motion to dismiss. There are different motions to dismiss. But what they can't do is just file a general response. And what happened in that case was uh, a general response was uh, filed. It was converted by the court to a, uh, a motion to dismiss. And then uh, when we defeated the motion to dismiss, it was converted into a summary judgment motion. <laughs> and then uh, summary judgment was granted against us in favor of the jail before we even had an opportunity to uh, present discovery. Um, I've never heard anything like this happening in my life. I've spoken to my colleagues, people who are, you know, in all different types of practices and, and, and no one's ever heard of, of anything like this. It's, it's obvious what's going on here. So two things. Number one, we are we have already filed a motion for a reconsideration. Uh, 
uh, an attorney who works uh, for me now, uh, Jonathan Gross, he wrote that motion. He did a fantastic job. Um, so we are uh, that motion is pending before the court. And we believe that if it's not uh, overturned uh, at the district level, we can appeal it to the circuit level and win because we feel respectfully uh, that the court is clearly wrong uh, on the law, that it's clear, reversible and prejudicial error and that the court has to has to change its, uh, its ruling. But look, we'll see. But because of that, uh, we dismissed Ryan Nichols's habeas uh, petition. Uh, in uh, in Washington, D.C. Uh, we dismissed it, number one, because we didn't feel that it was going to get honored the right way, and number two, sure. because in order to thwart the petition, to moot it, they moved Ryan from uh, D.C. into Virginia. Um, so in other words, your petition was against the D.C. jail, but then they make you start over because they move him. That's right. So in Quaglin's case and in Ryan's case, we named uh, uh, Merrick Garland as a uh, respondent, and we said, "Look, uh, Quaglin's been moved six times. What's the what's the stop you guys from moving him another six times?" Merrick Garland is the guy with his hand on the chess pieces here on the chessboard. He's moving Quaglin along to wherever he wants because he's got control over the U.S. Marshal Service. So, uh, in the event that Quaglin Quaglin gets moved, we want to make sure. Yep that Garland is on, and he actually dismissed against Garland first. The whole thing's really unfair, so what we're going to do is uh, we're, we're just pulling these habeas petitions back at this point. We're filing uh, different motions under the Bail Reform Act to, to say, look, these guys need to be let out to participate in their defense pending trial. That's specific and limited purpose. They haven't been able to do so. We'll see what the court says about it. But after this is all said and done, uh, we're going to sue them uh, in 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 the in the venue that makes sense for for all of us in the best possible yes. venue, um, and we're going to sue them in, in in a civil rights action, and we're going to sue them for for you know everything plus the kitchen sink for what they've done to these people. Um, right now, we have to focus on on the trials that are coming up, but once the trials are over, win, lose, or draw, we're going to sue for the abominable practices that have happened to these men, uh, for the torture, for the denial of their civil and constitutional rights. And uh, I believe that we'll win in the end. So you're talking about, again, these Coagulin and um, uh, Ryan Nichols, they've been held almost, I mean, it's almost two years pre-trial. Um, it's shocking when you compare to those that are released after multiple violent crimes, arrests, convictions, violation of bails, violation of parole and probation, violent as anything, and they get let out and and, and even if there there is bail that's required, it's it's 10,000, 50,000, they're they're held without bail and in, in this case that you're filing, you know, you wanted for, filing for release, the habeas petition. So didn't this individual, because he has celiac, you spoke about that last time, so the food is cross-contaminated, he has lost 50 pounds. What did the judge say when he saw um, uh, Christopher in the court? The judge looked at Christopher, and to paraphrase, he basically told him that it was his fault. What, for not eating the food? Yeah, he told him that, that, it, was, that it was his fault. He said that... Uh, He's he's making you know he's sort of bringing this upon himself. I don't want to get myself into trouble here. You know I can. Yeah. The transcript is clear. Yeah. Um, and and I was there. And you know in purpose in effect, uh, he just told Chris, you know you basically down. You know it's concerning to me, but you know uh, you're, you, it's basically your fault, which is 
it's a terrible thing for a, a man in the position of power to look across the courtroom and see an emaciated uh, uh, fellow citizen who's yet to be uh, uh, proven guilty in a court of law, no matter what the evidence is against him, and to say, you know, you're down 50 pounds, kind of so what, shrug your shoulders, you know, uh, toughen up, kid. It's just, it's, it's not right. And, and, and and did he rape anyone at the Capitol? Did he sexually assault anyone? Like what, what Uh, are they alleging he did? They're they're alleging that he, uh, he, he pushed and shoved uh, with, with some officers, uh, that he, that he said things that he made threatening statements. Um, and not even, you know, it's, it's, it's just when you compare this to the, uh, you, you know, you juxtapose this to the BLM and Antifa, you would have a million people in jail pre-trial. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you said it really well in your article that you recently published, and and, yep. and we would have a million people in I jail. Mean, yeah, none of us are for pushing police officers, and this is one of the, I guess you'd say, relatively more serious allegations. But again, it, it's not like there was, you know, serious injury resulting in bodily injury, things like that. Um, and and pre-trial for almost two years, and then knowing he has these issues. Here's what I don't understand. I watch illegal aliens all the time. They get so many habeas motions, um, <clears throat> uh, favorable uh, judgments from the judge on habeas petitions. They get um, pre-trial releases based on everything. How come sun- suddenly for these people all those avenues are closed? Are there certain loopholes that they say are only available to illegal aliens in the D.C. district? Uh, I mean, you know, I, sure, there there are certain things that are available to to legal aliens, but nothing. An, an, an illegal alien is not entitled to any greater level of protection than a United States citizen. United States citizen, by definition, is entitled to more constitutional protections than anybody in the world. The issue is this: um, when you look at uh, the BLM cohort, or if you look at the cohort of illegal aliens. Uh, the system can can say uh, there is an excusable neglect on their part. They're black, they're Hispanic, they're poor, they're this and they're that. And because of that, they don't know better. By definition, that's very insulting and extremely yes. problematic, number one. But number two, that is that is what they're saying. I that tell is- my oldest son that all the time. He always complains about you know, all oh, the other ones get to not do homework. Like, well, you're twice his age. I mean, come on, you're in middle school already. You know, I'm not going to treat you like a baby. And that, that, uh, that's I, right. It, it's ridiculous. That that is right. They're treating the system treats, uh, especially black men and Latino men in this country and and, and other people uh, like they are special needs. And because of that, they give them special treatment. But if you are uh, it's not in every case. Look, there's a lot of disparity in the criminal justice system. There's a lot of black and Latino men who shouldn't be in jail and who have historically been over-prosecuted. I don't want to to say that that's not a thing, but with regard to political protests, with regard to what we're seeing now, if you are a quote-unquote member of the group of people that have been in power, so to speak, for generations, and if you're a white Christian or or or, or, or a white a white Judeo Christian person, and if you're affluent, or, or if you you've never you know been on welfare, whatever it is, if the color of your skin is light enough, they're going to hit you over the head twice as hard because they're not only uh, blaming you for all of society's ills, you are the target group uh, right now. 
And, you know, we, we know a lot, you know, you have the Nuremberg trials and you look back and I was just following orders and all these things. And we know that certain Nazis uh, were, were, were tried and, and, and brought to justice afterwards. But what about all the people? that participated in the process. The Nazis, they sure, they wore the swastika on their arm and the SS had the lightning bolts on their collar and all that stuff and we know about all the atrocities. But what about all the rank and file, the judges, the police officers? This is what I was going to ask you. This is what I don't understand. So you say Merrick Garland gives orders, the U.S. attorney, the FBI, they get together and they're like, hey, anyone with an eye shot, we're going after them um, in a way that we've never done in American history. But then you have all the judges going along with it, and then and then what's with all these jail, um, you know, the wardens, the the guards, the beatings? I mean, everyone seems to be involved in this. It's just bizarre. Was there a memo sent out, or is it just organic that there was kind of a dehumanization campaign that these people deserve to be treated like maggots? It's the ver- it, 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 it's a vertically integrated system of evil. It is when you have power and government, uh, absolute power always corrupts absolutely. We have never seen um, any government in the history of this world that's had absolute power that has done the right thing, and that's what these people want. Moreover, when you remove God from the equation, when you remove the the, the Judeo-Christian values that this nation was founded upon and that permeate every courtroom or permeated every courtroom and every office of law – and so on and so forth. And, you you know, he's been removed. God has been removed from, from every facet of life. In his absence, men with power um, are going to do the wrong thing all the time. And, you know, if you are the Jewish or Christian man or woman in this country who is outspoken about your faith and who is, says, look, I, I put God in country – in those orders, God, country, and family, but God comes first, you represent the greatest threat to the achievement of their goal of ultimate power. What are some of the things that have come to light from the activity in the D.C. Gulag or this other prison in uh, Virginia that they're sending them to where they're stealing their items? I mean, they're just like raiding their cells and stealing things? Sure. Yeah, these guys are robbed all the time. Ryan Nichols and myself, we had a uh, these hard drives, these these little thumb drives that we were giving each other back and forth. He would work on his his work. I would give him assignments. He would work on investigative stuff and whatever it is. This was our attorney uh, work product trial strategies that we were giving back and forth to each other. It was his only way to work on it when he had access to a computer, um, and they took it. Uh, but um, what do you mean they took it? How did they, they just they, take it? I mean, what what did the judge say? Well, I'm arguing about it in court now, and they're making an argument that he never had it, but I have the proof. I have the receipts that not only that he had it, that it was given – those those drives were given to him by his previous lawyer. I utilized them for different purposes, Um, and because we were exchanging them, I actually have one of the drives with a significant amount of his work product that's going to conclusively prove – um, number one, what's on the drive? Number two, that they existed and that the people on the other side are lying. And then number three, we're going to need to talk about how he's been prejudiced because um, our not not our entire our, our entire strategy, no, but a significant portion of our strategy uh, for trial is on that drive. And they've now been sitting with it and have had a chance to go through wow. um, all, all of our evidence and strategies for the past uh, several months. And uh, look, they don't care. They don't care. There's no. There's no oversight. Uh, we're doing everything we can as, as as attorneys who are fighting the good fight to do so with honor, 
um, you know, and, uh, and, and we're doing everything that we can do under very unfair circumstances. But it's going to take a, a, a historical shift away from uh, what's happening and a turning back to God and our founding principles in order for there to ever even be recognition of this. And look, this will make the history books at, at, at some point if America uh, abides. But um, is anything going to happen right now? I, I don't know. You know, we're, we're in an era of suffering and, and absent a miracle. It just doesn't seem that any of these people are, are going to do much. And that's why, you know, some people have hope in, in, in the in the new Congress that's coming and, and potentially the, the presidential election in 24. But um, these you know, guys we, can't wait. I mean, one of them is half dying. Um, no, they can't wait. And they can't wait. You're, you're not going to. I mean, all the pretrial motions were unfair. If you take a guy that's not even accused of anything big, lock him up for two years. And then despite all of the abuse and, and criminality taking place in those prisons, you still leave him there. Boy, I mean, what are the prospects of getting a fair trial? I mean, and that's that's the issue here. Um, you know, I get the impression, by the way, this is a Trump-appointed judge. I, I get the impression that when the prosecution makes errors in the motions, like you said, they'll amend them, they'll they'll complete their sentences for them. Hey, you meant this, you meant that. But you guys, I mean, every technicality they'll throw at you. Oh, forget it. Yeah, I mean, what you're saying is the absolute truth. Um, it's it, it's a very very unfair system. It, it's uh, it's deeply prejudicial. Um, it reminds me of the tales that I heard about, you know, with World War II, or the tales that I heard about with uh, Reconstruction, Jim Crow stuff. You know, black guy goes to trial in Alabama in 1940. He's got he goes before <laughs> a jury, but does he have a chance? He's got no chance in hell. No. And and that's that's exactly what this is, and why those people are blind. Um, I don't know. I don't think they're blind. I think that they're willful participants in, 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 in a campaign of hatred against a group of people. And, uh, you know, if, if they're not judged in this life, they'll certainly be judged in the next. That, that, that's that's definitely the truth by the ultimate judge. Um, look, you know, as you head out towards a GOP Congress, the prospect of them winning the House and the Senate, what would you like to see them do? You know, both from an investigatory standpoint, but also from a legislative standpoint, what, you know, because you've gone through it and you see the abuses, what sort of policy changes need to be made? So with regard to the people from Congress, the members of Congress who have spoken up in uh, in defense of the human rights and civil constitutional rights of January Sixers, and the, against the uh, unjust treatment of, of the of these people during the pendency of their pretrial detention, you have a few members of the Freedom Caucus. You have Louis Gohmert, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Troy Nels, Andy Biggs, Matt Gates, Chip Roy to a certain extent. Other than that, uh, there's been nobody else. What about the Senate? In the Senate? Uh you have the the one the one fine gentleman. I can't remember his name right now. I think he's from Louisiana. What's his name? Johnson? Is that his? I can't, oh no, I, jo- uh, yeah, I'm Ron Johnson from Wisconsin. Right, well, it came out Louisiana. He's Wisconsin. also the only one fighting COVID fascism. So yeah. you know, it looks like he will get reelected, and that's that's helpful, and he will be a committee chairman, and we have a lot of hope. But um, that's pretty scary. I mean, one out of uh, fifty no, I, in the. Yeah. No. It's look. I I don't trust. 
the Republican Party as far as I can spit. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, uh, I did not vote until 2008 because I just didn't believe in anybody in government. Yeah, I was in co- I was in college around that time, or going to law school, whatever it was. And uh, Barack Obama was running, and I thought maybe he represented hope and change, so I voted for him. Wow! And then after the uh, genocide that happened in Syria, and after all the other horrible things that he did, uh, I voted against him. And uh, I said, well, you know, that was a mistake. And, you know, I have voted, and then, and then after that, uh, I obviously, I, I voted for, for, for President Trump uh, in two consecutive uh, elections. Um, why am I telling you this? Well, I'm telling you this because, you know, I, I am, I guess, what somebody would call a walk away. I was never like a Democrat, so to speak, but yep. uh, I, I, was a, I was a civil rights guy and a freedom guy. And, you know, I guess I'm more libertarian now than anything, conservative, America first. But why am I saying this? I'm saying this because... These people, this class of elitists in the Republican and in the Democratic Party, they don't care about us. No, Uh, they don't care about what's happening. So, um, do I do I trust that they're going to do the right thing? Absolutely not. I do not trust that they're going to do the right thing. What needs to happen? Well, they need to repurpose the January 6th committee. They need to impeach federal judges. They need to impeach Merrick Garland. There needs to be investigations across the board. The FBI should be, if not dismantled, it should be reconfigured. Homeland Security should be taken apart or broken down. So many things that I can think of that, that, that need to happen. The truth needs to come out about January 6th. The truth needs to come out about COVID. The truth needs to come out about the election. What about prosecutorial jurisdictions or trial jurisdictions? The one common theme we're seeing is that we have the criminalization of politics. So anyone who is an America first type, he's going to be a target um, of of criminalization for, for just his political speech, his political views, and you're never going to get a fair shake in the D.C. district. You're just not. Um, doesn't that need to be moved out or some provision making it clear? I mean, I thought we had that in law, but evidently it doesn't apply to anyone. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a good question. Uh, I agree with you. It needs to be reconfigured. I don't think anybody can get a fair jury of their peers, especially if they're not from D.C. Uh, in D.C., there's, there's a lot of big-time problems with all that. It's where they take people to, you know, execute them, so to speak, right? It, it's, it's the beginning of it. It's a death camp. They send you there to die. Uh, they don't send you there to get justice. They send you there so they can give you some kind of kangaroo court bullcrap trial and then convict you and take your take your life and your livelihood from you. It's fundamentally evil and it's and, and it's very very wrong. We need look. We're we're going to take back the house, um, and I hope that we take back the Senate as well. But when that happens, we need accountability. We need to be all over these people that we elected. And we need to primary people who do not share our values. Washington, D.C., as President Trump put it, is a swamp. Nothing good happens there. But that can change. The only way that changes is by sending people there who represent our values and who will act on them. When you have people like Ted Cruz, for example, some people like him, some people hate him. I can't stand the side of him. I think that... Um, he is late to the party on everything, that the things that he has said about January Sixers, 
um, have when, when they when they've come out spontaneously, the truth sort of comes out, and, you, and and what he says is, "Oh, people deserve to go to jail. People deserve to be prosecuted. All these things." And then he comes back and he and he makes sort of corrective statements Whoa. Um, about wait, it. Wait, Joseph, corrective statements. You just really, you just really grabbed me by the shirt collar there. I I love the term you used because we're finding this in a parallel universe on COVID, and frankly, we're going to find it on every other issue. Where, see, I'm I'm fine with someone buying into a narrative. You know, we don't like violence. Our side never we abhor it. We want it to be prosecuted. Like, oh god, I think some people did some bad things. We were pro police. Okay, fine. But then, as soon as you find out the truth, you would be even more zealous to rectify it because you know you feel bad being wrong. But instead, all you hear is this just very slick, corrective statement. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's kind of gone a little bit too far. And then move on. Whoa, whoa, there's no follow-up. Wait, what are you going to do about it? Same thing on COVID. You have all these pseudo-conservative voices. Yeah, you know, the CDC was stupid. You know, I guess the vaccines were kind of wrong. Whoa, whoa, whoa. There's like 20 legislative items we have that we need to, I need help with, buddy. You're going to join me, right? Oh, no, I'm going to talk about, you know, some other soap opera politics thing. There's no follow-through. It's not sincere. It's a corrective statement it's a personal political calculation to make a corrective statement that i am way out of sync with the truth and where my base is so i kind of have to broadly superficially align myself to where it is i mean is that your concern that that's what we're going to see with january 6 that's that's a big concern of mine you know there's a uh, a concept in in trial you have a witness you put your witness on the other side to cross examine cross-examines him or her and destroys them. And then you do what's called rehabilitating the witness, right? And you sort of, you know, you say, hey, well, they said this about you, but that's not really true, right? And they said that about you, but that's not really true, right? And you said this about January 6th, but you didn't really really mean it, right? And, and, and they bring it back. They rehabilitate the witness and they build credibility in front of the judge, in front of the jury. That's for a trial. But in, in real life, when our, our elected representatives, if they say things that don't add up, we need to cross-examine them in the public square. We need to say, hey, you said this, and I want to know why you said that. Where did that come from? And we need to have a conversation about this now. There is no running from it. There is no deflecting it. When you – you know, there, there's one thing in court that you can do. You ask a witness a question, and if the witness refuses to answer, the judge will direct the witness to answer. The witness will have to answer. Otherwise, there's consequences. These politicians, they don't answer the question. We need to hold their feet to the fire and make sure that we have an understanding that there's accountability for what these people say. Otherwise, they have to go. If, they, if they're not willing to answer a very direct and pointed question about a specific issue, then they are lying. Then there's no truth in them. If you can't say, hey, sir, what color is the sky? And you can't give me a direct answer on that. There's something fundamentally wrong with you, and I don't want you representing me. And that is the problem with the people that we have. And regard yes. with the people who are going in there, look, they get one shot at this. You know, they're not going there. We, You know, the idea that people should be in Congress in, the, you know, 47 years, Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, come on. There needs to be term limits. Nobody should be there for more than 10 years. It's not representative of what's going on in the world. These people are completely out of touch with reality. Out of touch. And, and, and I want to show out of touch because, again, 
most Republicans, especially the most important ones, they fundamentally buy into the lie. And and I've noticed that it, even after all the evidence to this day, they might say, yeah, it's a little bit too much, whatever, but they fundamentally buy into the lie. I want you to end by by giving our audience the story of Ryan Nichols to just demonstrate how wrong this was, how out of touch um, th- this is, again, you know, this is not kind of one of the more nebulous ones roped in. This is one of the main ones that has been there pre-trial um, almost two years. Describe the story of Ryan Nichols, who he is, what he's accused of doing, what he actually did, and what he's gone through. Take as much time as you need. Thank you. I, I very much appreciate that. Ryan Nichols is a uh, Marine Corps uh, veteran. He uh, is a father to two uh, beautiful uh, sons, uh, Ryan Jr. and Blake. He's a husband to, to Bonnie of nine years and a son to Don and Patty Nichols. Uh, they're from the Longview, Texas area. It's East Texas. Ryan uh, has no criminal record of any kind prior to January 6th. He still has no criminal record technically. Uh, runs a successful business, uh, employs uh, all types of people, including what he calls second chance people, people who are recovering addicts and other issues with their life. In conjunction with that, um, he is a search and rescue specialist. He spends anywhere between 75 and 100 days a year out doing a search and rescue work, rescuing uh, women, children, old and young, handicapped, and animals from natural disasters. Internationally recognized for his work, uh, you know, millions of views on uh, on YouTube and Twitter. He's been on Ellen DeGeneres' show. Uh, the guy was a hero for hurricane rescue work before January 6th. As a matter of fact, he showed up to January 6th wearing the vest and, and hat that he wears to all his hurricane, well, some of his hurricane rescues, multiple videos and pictures with the same stuff on. Uh, Because in his heart, he felt that when he was going to January 6th that he was going to rescue America. Now look, no one could have anticipated what happened that day, but he did have some uh, idea that Antifa or members of, you know, BLM or whoever would show up and counter-protest. They always did. Right, they they always always did. did. So he prepared, he prepared for that, but he went to the Capitol on January 6th to, for the first time in his life to a political protest to, to participate um, with his uh, fellow countrymen and women to petition the government for redress of grievances and to say, hey, you know, like you members of the BLM crowd who saw George Floyd die, um, we feel that we saw democracy die. Um, the day after the election, and we're here to protest that death. And we hope that our elected representatives do the right thing in the proceeding by not certifying it. That was the objective yes. for him and other people like him. Um, he uh, he saw a lot of violence that day, and he uh, he tried to help himself and help some other people uh, in, in terms of uh, defending himself and defending others. He did not make any contact with uh with police at any point in time and he has been overcharged uh, he's been charged with uh, uh, a litany of, of crimes that did could... he smash any windows no he didn't break anything he didn't hurt anyone he he he, he gave a speech um and he spoke his mind and uh you know some other things happened but no nobody got hurt never made any contact with anybody any cops he did not break or steal um, anything and they um, have held him 
Uh, he's got PTSD. They've held him in solitary confinement for months and months and months. They take him out. They put him in. They take him out. They put him in. They've driven him to suicide watch. He has been denied medical treatment. He had a ruptured eardrum at one point. He can't even really hear in his ear anymore. In the one ear, he's been sick multiple times. He's been denied regular access to his attorneys, regular access to see his family, regular access to religious services, um, access to his discovery. He had his discovery robbed from him, so on and so forth. Ryan Nichols is the best of what America has to offer. If something happens in life, he's the guy you want coming to come through the door to rescue you. Um, if you walk into a business and you're looking to buy something for your home or for your business, he's the honorable salesman that you want to deal with. Um, he's the guy you want in the room with your kids on the baseball field, on the football field. He's the guy you trust um, with, 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 with what's most sacred to you in life because he is a good person in a very bad world. And the way that he has been treated um, is objectionable. Uh, objectionable is is an understatement. It is absolutely horrible. He's being persecuted for the words that came out of his mouth yes. on January Let's 6th. Let's face it. It's not the nebulous actions that they allege. It's the words because I read the complaint and what I was shocked by is, well, if it's that bad, why wasn't he arrested on the spot? He wasn't. It was one of these retroactive, the snitch things that retroactively dug up statements so that somehow criminalizes retroactively his presence and the fact that he held certain gear, um, which is pretty clear that you know now it's died down a little bit. But at the time, Antifa was extremely hot on the streets. Every single conservative protest was confronted by them, and indeed they were there and Probably other people were there too, um, but it's not like he hit anyone with anything, or, or no. you know, he's not even accused of shoving a police officer like the other one. Um, and was he in the Capitol building itself? Uh, he went into a uh, into a window that led into a conference room. Um, not entirely sure why he did it. I think people were just uh, going in there. Yeah, um, bad things were happening, but it was a conference room. When he went into the conference room. Uh, what he there was a door that led to the rest of the Capitol. He didn't open the door and go running through the Capitol looking for you know senators. Um, he actually participated in barricading the door to make sure that people couldn't get in and people couldn't get out. They created sort of a safe space temporarily, temporarily there for you know away from the madness. He had just learned that Ashley Babbitt had been killed. Uh, he he saw Roseanne Boylan uh, getting the life beat out of her. Many things were happening around that time. And uh, he stayed in there for, I don't know, a couple minutes, and, 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 and he left. And because of that, uh, they want him to, uh, to do 10, 15, 20 years in jail. And it's, it's, it's absolutely ludicrous. It is ridiculous. There is no, there is no legal precedent of any yes. kind in, 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 in American no jurisprudence. There is no legal precedent. And, and that, that's why I wanted to juxtapose these Chicago cases because – and that's why I wanted you to tell about Ryan Nichols because it's not about Ryan Nichols. Um, where is this coming from and where is this headed? It's not about January 6th. It is about they believe, and they said this with masks, with vaccines, you know, if you're not a member of the tribe, I mean, it's like the new Sharia law. If you don't do what we say or believe what we believe, you deserve to die. You don't get human rights. You don't get the jab. No matter what evidence is on it, you don't get a kidney transplant. It's that same mindset that is demonic. So it, it, January 6th is kind of even a distraction. Um, it, it's not where it's coming from. That's That was the Reichstag moment that they used. 
Um, but this is, you know, it's not like you and I could say, look, you know, I, I, I'm assuming you're like me. I'm not exactly the type of guy that's confrontational physically and would get involved in this type of stuff. Hey, I'll be fine. Uh, no, no, you cannot confidently say that because as long as you're politically speaking out against things they don't like, you will you are on the radar and they will find a way to rope you in. Um, Joseph, is there any way people could help with the uh, legal defense and, and things like that? Yes, uh, I appreciate you asking. You can go to my website. It's McBrideLawNYC.com. And there on the January 6th tab, there's uh, instructions on, on how you can give to any one of the clients I represent or to give globally to the work uh, that uh, we're doing. I have some really good people uh, working for me. Um, and because people have given um, in the past, I've been able to to hire them and, and, and pay for them, and, the, and their contributions uh, are, are, are well received, and, and, and it's, it's just been great ha- having them on. We hope to be able to take more cases cases, and to be able to expand the scope of, of our work. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. But, you know, like anything else in life, we have to pay for it. We need resources. So if anyone finds it within their, within their heart and if they're inclined, so inclined to give, uh, McBrideLawNYC.com under the January 6th uh, tab. And if you can't give financially, I would ask that you give with your positivity and your prayers. Absolutely. Prayers is where it's at. There is no political solution. It's just returning to God. Joseph, thank you for joining us, and thank you for what you do. May God be with you. You too, Daniel. God bless. So again, that was civil rights attorney Joseph McBride, and it's a shame we're out of time because I have so much to say about that interview um, about Joseph himself and what he represents. A lot of things he was saying really just tickled a lot of thoughts in my brain. Um, he, He represents a very interesting type of person that I think is really where a lot of Americans are. As you could tell, I mean, most of his career was fighting for criminals, actually. I, I would have been on the other side of him in a lot of these cases. Um, he was kind of a real bleeding heart guy, cares about uh, cares about people. Um, one of these kind of ACLU types that really meant it, you know, really thought they were doing good and really meant to do good, really cared about the underdog and cared about human rights and things like that. But then when he saw where the human rights violations were really taking place, and that's when he moved over, and he voted for Obama, but then, then, then he supported Trump, and he became what he did. And I'm thinking about that and thinking, like, what, what happened to all these other people that were like him, um, that, that was, were uh, reared into that liberal legal pedigree in New York City like he was? And the answer is, the God factor, the big, that is really the big difference. The other ones, politically, they might have sounded, sounded the same as Joseph, you know, 15 years ago, but Joseph was always a devout Catholic, very, he's a very devout Catholic. Um, obviously, today and tomorrow are Catholic holidays, it was hard to squeeze in time to even get him, he's in church, very religious individual, very godly person, um, and that's why his heart is where it is, and I suspect that there are so many people like that that voted for Obama. They used to kind of buy into this. Okay, I, I care about the poor, um, the underserviced. We're the ones with that message now, the true message. If you actually had a movement and a party that could speak to this, I mean, the sky's the limit. 
Um, you know, he himself, like, you can't paint him as the prototypical right wing, you know, neo-Nazi, yada, yada, like they always like to say. He's absolutely not. He voted for Obama. He was kind of an ACLU legal type. And, you know, I was just thinking Republicans, their brains are so governed by what they see in the political media, the political system, the D.C. media and Twitter. They're obsessed with Twitter. Now, maybe Twitter will change. But, you know, until now. So someone recently put this out. I forgot where I saw this, but that Pew had an analysis a little while back that if Twitter users were a state or a congressional district, it would be a D plus 15 district. Um, so it would tie Hawaii and Vermont as America's most liberal state. But it's worse because the 10% of Twitter users who post 92% of all material are D plus 43. Those are the people that really lead the narrative that not just Democrats but Republicans buy into. And it's time they think like normal human beings. Look at the evidence. Look at the facts. Look at where this demonic elitist system is coming from and where it's headed. And just speak from the heart and speak the truth. And you know what? What these elections are showing is you could have your cake and eat it too. It will be a political winner as well. We just have to make sure they convert. Send me your thoughts, comments, questions, concerns at Daniel Hurwitz at startmail.com. Till tomorrow, God bless you all. And thank you for listening.